do we want to start off with my story then? I, well, yeah, go right ahead. Okay, so. Hold on. What? Make it snappy though, because we don't want the cold open to go on forever. No, that's fine. I, I, I'm, I'm quick with telling stories, but I'm not quick in bed. Uh... <laughs> just, just make with the goods. Oh, I hate myself sometimes. Okay, so, um, so the other night, uh, it was actually like a while ago now. Um, I went to this one like queer party at this bar nearby in Miami, and it was. It's sort of costume themed, so a lot of people go dress up and shit. And there was this one guy who, like, asked me for a cigarette, and I was like, yeah, sure, like, have a fucking cigarette, because uh, I smoke them on, like, rare occasions. Oh, I shouldn't, like, admit that I smoke cigarettes. Whatever. Um, I, like, barely ever smoke them. Fun Juan, you're not a fucking child, and I'm not your dad. <laughs> Continue. I know, but other people might be listening. Okay, whatever. Anyway. Listen, um... listen I hate to break it to you, man, but your family don't listen to this podcast. You never know. You never know. I'm fairly okay. certain. Maybe someday we'll get super famous, and then they're going to be like, Hi, Juan Antonio está fumando, Dios mío. Uh, anyway, so, uh, whatever, this hot guy. And, like, guess who he was dressed up as? Was he dressed up as Jean-Claude Van Damme? Yes, he was, but <laughs> he was dressed up as Jean-Claude Van Damme from Street Fighter, and I was so oh, aroused man. by the sheer concept of, like, seeing a man dressed up as Jean-Claude Van Damme. And I didn't think that was, like, a fetish for me. But, like, now I'm secretly <laughs> convinced it is. And I don't know why, because I haven't even seen that much on Clement Van Damme. I, I, I've seen my fair share of Van Damage. Yeah, I know you have. If you're into, like, this is not a recommendation, but if you're into, like, oh, man, JCVD is getting me all hot and bothered, I highly recommend, <laughs> I highly recommend that you watch the movie Nowhere to Run. I mean, like, listen, in fairness, this kid looked nothing like Jean-Claude Van Damme, but, like, I was just, like, vaguely turned on at the concept of him being dressed up as him and he also had a cast on because his like arm was broken or something <laughs> and i just love men who are like some kind of beat up I, that's my real fetish i don't know Ooh. why uh. like if you throw like blood on a man's face or you like give him a black eye i'm just like god fuck me uh anyway <laughs> so remind me why you don't watch wrestling i don't it just doesn't do it for me it's too it's too masculine i don't know why <laughs> i mean it's it's dudes in tights throwing each other around. I know, but I just, like, it doesn't get me off. I'm sorry. Well, it's your fucking loss, isn't it? I know, it is my loss. You know, you're right. But, um, anyway, so how about that? How about uh, that podcast? <laughs> so, welcome to episode 27, or more importantly, episode 1 of season 2 Thank of you. Stuck in the Middle with You, a podcast where two guys take a look at a critically divisive film and see on what side of the consensus they fall on. I'm actually surprised I got through that one in one shot. I'm very proud of you. Oh, man. My name is Derek Gade, and uh, joining me, as always, is number one in your hearts and number one on the charts from Miami, Florida, the one and only Juan Barkeen. Say hi, Juan. Hi, Juan. Oh, I'm so, I'm so happy to be number one in everyone's <laughs> hearts. Uh, I mean, that's how they introduced Kiss back in the days, so. Oh, well, I, I'm okay with being introduced as Kiss. <laughs> um, are you, though? Am I? I don't know. I don't know. Speaking of music, though, um, that's how I'm going to start the conversation about this movie. But we haven't even talked about what movie we're introducing. <laughs> well, let, let us let us uh, part the curtain a little bit. This is actually our second go round at recording this episode because we had um, technical difficulties. <laughs> But more specifically, Juan had technical difficulties. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm very comfortable admitting I messed up. Okay, leave me alone. 
So, uh, and this was in August. And, Osage uh, County. Uh, fine. This was in August, Osage County. But now, you it, right now, we're in the tail end of November. And a lot of shit has transpired between August and November. Which I know. interfered with uh, our podcasting duties. And um, some events took a, shall we say, higher psychic toll yes. on us than others. God, they did. But, you know, as, as they say in Jurassic Park, life always finds a way so here we are well in this case our podcast finds a way and uh it's been a while so why don't we remind the people what we do here what the fuck do we do on this pod so we talk about a movie oh well derek and i go through this very complicated process of choosing a perfectly suited film for this exciting podcast which covers 50 percent films on rotten tomatoes and that is a job that comes with a certain price because sometimes we watch really bad movies and sometimes we watch really good movies. And you know, like what would you what would you say is like the episode like of all the movies that we saw during season one? What movie do you think is the best movie we have seen? The best movie or the best recording that we've had. You can answer both if you want. Okay, so the best recording that we've had, or at least my personal favorite recording... It's probably Sex in the City, is it right? It's absolutely Sex in the City. (laughs) Um, Which I don't want to admit because that would mean we peaked early as shit. That's episode four. Well, that was just my favorite personal recording. Um, But um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, What's the best movie we've seen? (laughs) Oops, excuse me. I have, like, hiccups now. Uh, I promise I'm not drunk for once in my life. Uh, (laughs) um, I guess Beyond the Black Rainbow, maybe? I would tend to agree. I mean, like, I also really adored, um, what's it called? Uh, well, no, I adored pieces of Arya. Yeah, Arya was... Oh, no, wait, fuck me. I'm sorry, Antichrist is my favorite fucking movie we've done. I think Antichrist is one of our better episodes because we actually talk like people who know what the hell we're talking about. Yes, yes. And we're not just, ah, making jokes, ah, this guy's ass, <laughs> or I went to film school. Yeah, it's Because true. that's that's the dynamic I feel we have. Sometimes, sometimes. But uh, <laughs> the Antichrist episode is good. The Sex no, and the City I, episode is good. Sex but, and the City, Antichrist, Hardware, I think, is one of my other favorites. But we're not here to talk any about any of those movies, are we? Mark? No, we aren't. We are starting off this one with kind of a bang. Oh, hell yes. Uh, maybe, maybe a couple of booms, some yeah, bullet no hits. Shit. A lot of them. <laughs> um, we are going to start off season two with uh, Hard Target, uh, released in 1993, directed by the master, John Woo. Do you have any prior experience with the work of Mr. Woo Won? Uh, I do. I have, um, I have a few uh, Woo um, that was bad. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't even catch it. That was supposed to be like a joke. I know. I'm sorry. That was a. Uh, it was just me poorly rhyming. Uh, no, actually, I've literally only seen two other movies by him. Which two? Uh, Face Off, which is obviously one of the greatest films of all time. It's a very good movie. And uh, I have also seen Mission Impossible Two. Which I have not seen. I know because you're terrible, but that's fine. You should watch all of the Mission Impossible movies, honestly. Like I've only seen the first one, which was fucking amazing. Yes, it is, because Brian De Palma's great. Brian De Palma's great. we're not here to great. talk about Brian De Palma. <laughs> no, but we will talk about a certain actor 
uh, an actor that I really like, uh, a guy by the name of Jean-Claude Van Damme. Damn, man. <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah. Um, so right. let me say right up front, I think Jean-Claude Van Damme is a great actor. <laughs> I just think he's been fundamentally miscast in a lot of these action movies. I mean, would you call him a great actor or would you call him like a good actor who can be serviceable in the right roles, can be very good in the right role, like can be great in the right roles and can be very bad in poorly cast roles? Well, in the sense that I think because I wouldn't call him a great actor. Honestly. I, I, I would call him a great actor, but I don't think he has like the widest range. Yes, like, I would also in the sense that, that in the sense like like Don Knotts was a great actor, but he was really good at like one thing. Yes, he was like really good at like bugging his eyes and double taking and triple taking and the role. But that's my Don Knotts impression. Um, oh my god, that was a very <laughs> that was yeah that was like the best thing I've ever heard. Totally. Sure, but in the sense, my point is he has a very narrow range, and yes. I think I think that. Jean Claude Van Damme has a wider range than uh, than um, than Don Knotts, but I think the idea is he's cast like especially in the Halcyon days of uh, the 1990s, he's cast as like yo the, the the quipping badass in these action movies. Yeah, and and quipping is literally the thing he does the worst. Oh my god, it is, really... though, but it's so good sometimes. Honestly, he's, like he. He's not great at landing those one-liners, and part of it is his, like, part of it is his acting style, and part of it is just his accent because he's Belgian. Yes. It's and it just doesn't suit him very well. But what suits Chuck Claude Van Damme very well is being scared, being stern, and being vulnerable. Yes. He doesn't get to flex a whole lot of that in this film. He does flex it a little bit. Not as much as he should, uh, but I will say this movie, I mean, I feel like with a lot of John Woo, I guess the humor, uh, I mean, it works for it regardless of who's delivering it a lot of the time. Like, I mean, there's there's a lot of lines in here that just a lot of people would describe as like so bad they're good, which I loathe that concept. Um, but like, I think they work in spite of the fact that maybe he wasn't like the best at delivering them. I was going to say that he might be the the worst actor in this film, but then I remembered that Yancey Butler's in <laughs> yeah, this movie. I was about movie. to say I'm like Yancey Butler's in this movie. How dare you? Okay, well, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. <laughs> okay, so Juan, Juan what, what the fuck is Hard Target about? Oh my god. Um who cares about the plot? <laughs> <laughs> it's um it's about Chance uh what is it? Boudreau? Boudreau. Yeah, Chance Boudreau. Boudreau. Okay. Chance Boudreau, my fucking French-Canadian accent. Uh. <laughs> well, that's basically what Wilfred Brimley sounds like later in the film, but we'll get, we'll get true, to that. That's true, it really is. Uh, okay, so Chance Boudreau, uh, he's like a, like a, like what, like a, an out-of-work seaman, basically, I guess? Well, he's an, he's an ex-Marine looking for work, but yeah. he was fucking Marlon Brando in On the Waterfront. Pretty much. And then he, like, saves this young woman... And uh, he finds out that this young woman, Natasha Binder, is uh, trying to find her missing father. And then it just kind of like team up and try to find her dad. And then it becomes this like convoluted mess that turns into the most dangerous game. Uh, <laughs> it actually starts off 
like the most dangerous game because the the first sequence of the film it's a, a guy running away from a, just like a small army of people with like, like crossbows and like yep. machine guns and such and fucking Lance Hendrickson like orchestrating the whole thing like the world's most evil conductor I mean, I wish I was the world's... Like, I, I feel like that's, like, a, a title to aspire to, as world's most evil conductor. I mean, he's his name is Emile Fouchon. Ooh. That is a that heel name. That sounds evil. That is a heel <laughs> name if I ever heard one. And and Lance Hedrinson just oozes intensity and just relishes in this role. A real pro. Yeah, but he's essentially just, like, a wealthy man who hunts on, like, former homeless soldier like homeless former soldiers and it's like like this movie has no interest in making any real commentary on the fact that like america takes its marines and like soldiers for granted even though they're like you would expect it to have something like that when it's about like literally hunting down and killing homeless soldiers but john was just like fuck it <laughs> well it's not so much that John Woo says fuck it. So is there Chuck is... Fair. <laughs> well, Chuck... He, well, uh, well, here's the thing with Chuck Farrer. He is a Navy, an ex-Navy SEAL yes, himself. Yes, he is. And, uh, hold on. I think he's written uh, another a screenplay of note. He's like, written, like, multiple works of, like, fiction and nonfiction. Yeah, well, he well he he either wrote or co-wrote Navy Seals. Yeah, he like he he gave to like Navy Seals, and he also gave to like Barb Wire and Darkman, though. So I mean, like, yeah, in he fairness, to Darkman. I'm like, in fairness, are we really gonna trust this man with our? <laughs> I mean, there is a there is a small twinge of Darkman in this movie because guess who's got an executive producer credit on this movie? Sam. Sam Raimi. That's right. Yep. So. I mean, there's there's a little twinge of this in the sort of uh, the camera work, the stylization, but this is clearly a John Woo film. No, uh, like 100%. But I think it's interesting that this whole movie happens because, all right, the the, the underlying thing here is that uh, Lance Hendrickson's character is a globetrotter. Like, he goes around and organizes these hunts, and it's it's kind of implied that he comes to New Orleans because there is a police strike. So yeah. there's no cops in the city. Oh, that's true. I actually forgot about that. I'm not going to lie. And <laughs> so yeah, there's this whole sort of through line about, like, the rich literally hunting down the disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. But do you think the film explores it as much as it should and or could have? I think it doesn't explore it so much as that uses it as sort of, like, like a line to pin things on. Yeah. Because the bread and butter of this movie is... The action. It's the action. I mean, clearly, it's the action. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, so, like, with regards to this plot, before we actually know, uh, like, before it officially reveals itself as the most game dangerous game, it plays coy with that concept for, like, quite a while just by taking um, uh, Natasha and Chance through this, like, like this relationship building and it's like a very awkward like, romance almost uh, like upon upon rewatching it i feel like the relationship is one-sided it is entirely like so like like yancy butler and van damme are in two different movies yes yancy butler is like playing it up and yeah she's he's playing it not. up <laughs> and he is not he is, like he's he is. not having this romance whatsoever 
Yeah, he's all business. Yes, exactly. And, like, the fact that he just happens to save her constantly. Uh, <laughs> That's just because like, he's, like, lawful good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then it becomes this... I don't know. It just becomes this bloated mess. It's such a... The first 50 minutes of this movie are such a narrative slog whenever it's not jumping into an action scene. And it's so frustrating. I mean, yeah, this doesn't have the kind of barreling momentum or sort of intricate operatic plot one would expect of like uh, of the Hong Kong John Woo movies, like uh, like a Hard Boiled or The Killer or something great like that. Because this is like this is definitely below that in terms of uh, like in terms of just power quality. <laughs> No, but like even if, but even if you look at like something like Face Off, Face Off takes like a relatively like simple dumb plot and like boils it completely out of like it just makes it fucking insane and it keeps on getting higher and higher and higher. And this movie doesn't necessarily. Yeah, it doesn't ratchet up as much as Face Off does. No, not at all. And I think that works for Face Off and it works against this movie. It's too fucking parsed down to be as good as it should be. But that's only like, in fairness, it's only like the first 50 minutes or so because the yeah, first. Yeah, they're still, like, that's still, that's like half the movie. Yes, no, the other portion of this, like I would say like what, 45 minutes or so is like magnificent. But let, like, so, so the, the pros of, I think the first half are, um, it's obviously not the narrative, but there are some like very good uh, action sequences. And there's also, I think like one of my favorite things about this movie is actually the score. It just like opens up with this really sweet saxophone. <laughs> yeah. There is like a weird mix of like sort of blues, like Zydeco local music and just this like near near nineties butt rock. <laughs> yeah. And I also like, there's this one point where like it shifts into like this weird country Western music and like, He's literally just kicking ass and switching between the real, like, real-time action and then the slow-mo, which is obviously, like, so, so heavily used in this movie. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but it's so good, though. It's just John Woo is such a good action composer. <laughs> I will say that the first half of the movie has a lot of, like, for lack of a better term, melodramatic camera work. Oh, absolutely. It sets you right the fuck up for, like, these these heightened emotional stakes. And that's part of the reason why Yancy Butler sticks out like a sore fucking thumb. Because she just... She no-sells everything. I know. She is the blankest canvas I've ever seen in my life. And it's so, like, I always feel so mean saying that. But, like, no, it's just... She's... I don't understand what she's doing. And then you get someone like Casey Lemon shows up. Casey Lemon shows like, up. And like, she's playing the role, like her role perfectly. Like she's, she looks great. She's like acting every single beat that they give her to a T. And then like, it just cuts back to <laughs> Yancey Butler. And it's too literally, it feels like just a blank canvas. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And it's, it's, ugh. The, the perfect sort of the emblematic uh, the the scene that this that fully encapsulates this phenomenon is when is towards the end of the sequence when they're at the docks and mm-hmm. JCBD is looking for work and uh, Yancey Butler goes up 
to Van Damme and goes, oh, well, I could pay you if you help me find my dad. And he's like, <laughs> fuck no. And he's like, well, oh, okay. And... <laughs> I'm sorry, I just, I'm sorry, I love your description of that scene, because you're just like, oh, okay, and that's like, oh, okay, is more or less what I wish Ashley <laughs> Butler's performance would have been, because it probably would have felt more real. <laughs> so, so Van Damme can't get onto, can't get onto a boat because his union dues have expired, and parentheses, this, I can't tell if this movie is pro-union or anti-union. It doesn't make a fine statement about it. No, it is kind of muddled. But I think yeah. it's interesting that like two different plot mechanics are determined by unions in this film. Yeah. Anyways, so Van Damme's like, well, what if I if I get money to pay my dues, can I go on the ship? And he's like, yeah. And so then, okay, and so Yancey Butler's driving this fucking, this baby blue sports car. This very <laughs> early 90s, he got a fucking blue, baby blue number. Yep. And she's like, oh, I'm super annoyed because there are dudes, uh, there are dudes with fucking moving barrels on the backs of trucks. And I'm annoyed because I'm a privileged lady in my fucking sports car and I can't fucking move anywhere it's because of these, literally because do. of these people literally just doing their jobs, trying to <laughs> eke out a living. And the trucks and barrels part like the fucking Red Sea. And there is Jean-Claude Van Damme in all his bemulleted glory. Oh, God bless just that staring. Mother staring right at her i mean okay so like let me and take she, a moment <laughs> no let me finish let me okay finish. and she does the she ostensibly does the pull down her sunglasses to go yowza and completely no sells it i don't buy it for a second i don't buy it for a second either at all and then he accepts the job and uh very humorously asks for the exact same amount that his union dues are for and like you would think he would try to at least get some more but like this guy's just like no fucks given whatsoever no. like his character is just truly truly lawful good to like okay maybe not lawful good because he is like you know prancing around with guns i don't shooting know people. man i don't know dude i'm pretty sure he's like lawful good as fuck though because he wouldn't have been shooting at those dudes unless they were trying to start something i think he's lawful neutral like fine you know like i'll give in but like can we discuss for a quick moment uh the mullet i find the mullet fascinating as a here's the thing this is 1993 i mean this was jacques van damme was like he is shot in this movie like the like the fucking hottest man alive he really is though and like i just i mean like part of me gets it but part of me doesn't <laughs> like i don't know i don't think i'm that sexually attracted to him but when they introduce him, they introduce him with, like, his eyes, his hair, and an earring, which was very dirty guard in the early 90s, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, no, this guy was, like, the hot shit, right? I mean, like, if you put, like, him and George Michael next to each other, like, in the early 90s, I feel like every woman would have probably died. Uh, um, probably. <laughs> like, that's the thing. Like, like they would have just, like, that would have been, like, damn, uterus is all over the place. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> now i have this horrible image of just walking around town just piles of uteruses everywhere i'm so glad you do because that's exactly Ugh, what i was hoping for that's but fucking like, horrible it's so great and like why would you do that okay, to me so so his character introduction though is literally like 
it's not even like a good character introduction for like someone that you're trying to market as like a sex object in the 90s though because it's object. just like because you like you get to like the waitress comes up to him and she's like how's that gumbo chance and like his first fucking thing is just like a tragedy it's, it's a tragedy <laughs> The coffee was tolerable, though. And I'm just like, this fucking guy. Like, <laughs> But here's the thing. This kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier, is that he's supposed to be this this, this roguish ass-kicker with, like, a propensity for one-liners and bon mots. But no, he doesn't do it super well. That's the thing. His one-liners, like, they're great one-liners because they're hilarious. But, like, his delivery is not magnificent in it. <laughs> it's not. Like, what kind of name is Chance? Well, my mama took one. Like, <laughs> That doesn't love mean it. anything! I love it. I fucking love it. But, like, what did your mom take a chance on? Did she take a chance on, like, having you? Did she, like, like, what, like, where is this backstory going? Nowhere, because I don't get one. <laughs> like... <laughs> Was it, like, an ABBA reference? I don't know. Right? Take it, take it, take it, take it. Let me not start singing ABBA right now, because then it'll just go all, <laughs> all off the fucking rails. So Van Damme and Yancey Butler try to find Yancey Butler's dad. Yes. Who was the guy who was fucking owned by uh, uh, Lance uh, Hendrickson's cronies at the beginning of the film? Just, like, straight-up fucking arrows being shot everywhere. It's kind of great. Honestly, the way, like, like, to go back to John Woo as an action filmmaker, the way he cuts between things is just so good sometimes. Like, there's very, very consistently great editing in his movies. And this, like, I I don't know, like, I think I think he has, no matter what the movie, like, I don't know how to put this, like, no matter how boring the movie may be at some points, the second you reach the action sequences, you can tell, like, he's having fun, and thus you are having fun. And it well, the whole climax of the film, right? Yes. So, like, after these, like, 53 minutes of, like, hell, it becomes, like, it gets its shit together and realizes, oh, man, we should make an actual action movie. And it becomes this, like, literal sequence of events of just action, 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 action. Is this gunplay and kicks, and it's super well done. There's, like, a car shootout. There's a motorcycle chase that's magnificent. The motorcycle uh, chase is very good. The motorcycle, I mean, like, that and, like, some, like, Jean-Claude Van Damme punching a snake in the face is really just, this movie hits its peak. <laughs> yeah, this is, like, th th that's, like, the perfect scene. It's, like, get it together, man. We have to, like, there's no time for romance. There's a fucking snake about to bite you. Yes, exactly. And, like, all right, right, Jan Spelter's a fucking... <laughs> I hate to keep ripping on her, but she's like... I know, I know. I, I feel like she's feel like the wink, link, the wink link in the chain. She is. I mean, I mean, her and the story are like the two weakest links in this movie. Uh, obviously, Van Damme is... He's not perfect in it, but like he's compelling enough to keep us watching, and he's very good with action sequences. I'm very fond of Lance Fredrickson in this movie. Yes, yeah, so am I. He's very good. He's like a perfect villain. Uh, he's a perfect heavy. He's the best. Yeah, no, he really is great in it. But, I mean, again, I think this movie peaks when it is taking advantage of, like, sheer scale of action. All of these explosions, train jumping, like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of really good stuff in here. And as someone who doesn't watch as much action as most people I talk to tend to, it's, um, I don't know, it's, it's just, it's such an exciting movie to watch.
because of these action sequences. What do you make of Wilfred Brimley yelling in, like, Cajun French? I mean, it's... (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Like, do you think, like, outside of, like, Lance, is there, like, a single man in this movie who you think is, like, keyed in to, like, like... (laughs) Like, do you think there's, like, a genuinely good performance in here outside of him? I find Wilford Brimley's performance very entertaining. Yes. Um, I mean, a guy like him, he's an old pro. He could just be doing any old thing and it'll be right on. Um, I mean, I wouldn't put him up for, like, the Best Supporting Actor award or anything. No, God, no. Uh- <laughs> but uh, I do, I do kind of like the sort of goofy bad guy that uh, Sven Ole Thornson plays. Okay. The guy who cuts off the dude's ear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I just like that. We'll just cast the most evil-looking sob who looks like a hitman. <laughs> and we'll but put him in this fucking movie. Like, I mean, do you think like like we we keep harping on like Yancey Butler, but like, do you think there's a certain disconnect between how some of the actors are performing and what like the movie or like I guess on three levels, I guess the acting to the script, to the movie that John Woo is making. I think they're keyed into different parts. Yes. John Woo's American career is really uneven. And it's yes, kind it of is. telling that and it's kind of telling that the two people who are the most keyed into the John Woo style are John Travolta and, and Nicolas, Nicolas Cage. Cage. Yep. God bless that movie. <laughs> like, we could keep going back to that movie so often when discussing John Woo's American career, because that's, like, that's its pinnacle. As simple as that, like... I mean, I like Broken Arrow, uh, but I couldn't fucking tell you a thing about it. I mean, I've literally only seen three movies of his, and they're all American, so, like, I should not be commenting on this. But of those three, it is the only one that is, like, truly magnificent as it it is described by many people. <laughs> I feel like the alchemy of this film is kind of different fundamentally from Face Off because I feel like there was a, a sort of a competitive, like competitive, not competitive, but like there is a kind of barreling aspect to Face Off's acting style that just keeps going and going, like you had mentioned before. Well, it's like, I hate saying like it's like a game of like trying to one-up each other, but it's like a game of trying to one-up each other. It kind of feels like that. John Woo almost tries to one-up himself every single time there's a new set piece in that movie, compared to here, where like, yes, the set pieces are like consistently great, but the narrative that's tying them together doesn't seem to be as aware of that fact as it should be. What I feel happened with this movie in contrast to something like Face Off, is that we are working with, like, with contrasts. We have Van Damme being contrasted by Lance Hendrickson, being contrasted by Wilfred Brimley, because no one seems to be acting in the same kind of movie. Mm-hmm. But they all kind of work together when they, like, engage with each other in the way that the kind of characters they are in an action movie would. Yeah. But when you add, when you put that along with John Woo's sort of more melodramatic, uh, in giant quotation marks, excessive style. Mm-hmm. Some people seem to be more dialed in than others. So it's a weird exercise in tone because a crew of actors acting in a John Woo film in, say, Hong Kong and a crew of actors acting in a John Woo film in America are two very, very different things. 
the writing yeah. styles of the scripts are very, very different things. The collective uh, pool of references and ideas and moods that you're drawing from are completely different. Mm-hmm. Which is why John Woo's American movies are so wildly all over the place, varying in like quality and tone. Yes, like and and Face Off appears to be like a perfect fucking storm. It is. It really is a perfect fucking storm. But um, just to I guess jump back to uh to Hard Target. <laughs> um, I mean, do we have any I guess final thoughts? Uh, and then I guess we'll just right. I, no, we can mix in our final thoughts and our and our um. Our, our, our rating for the movie, Maybe I guess. Fresh Rotten Ratings? Yes, Fresh Rotten Ratings, because as you all know, I'm, or if you're listening for the first time, who knows, as we always do in this podcast, we have to decide whether a film is fresh or rotten. And, yeah, yep. uh, I mean, do, do you want to go first, or do I go first, or who goes first? I don't remember. I'll go first. <laughs> On the one hand, this movie has a scene in an abandoned warehouse full of Mardi Gras floats. The final scene happens there. Where Jean-Claude Van Damme just sort of immobilizes a guy with one of his hands, and then the camera zooms in on his eyes like this was an old kung fu movie, and then takes the gun from him, incapacitates him, then shoots the gun upside down into another guy in a different part of the building. But it's also a movie set in New Orleans that ends with Creed's Clearwater Revival's Born on the Bayou. It's so fucking on the nose and so good. <laughs> but, but I do like this movie. I do find it's I do find it's kind of weird, clashing tones and thralling. Mm-hmm. I like the weird um, undercurrent of like it may not have been um, burrowed into very much, but I like the idea of the abandoned veterans. I like the idea of uh, this being enabled by uh, by striking cops. Mm-hmm. I do like I do like the sort of small machinations of the film, so I'm gonna give it a fresh. I dig this. I mean, I'm I'm I I don't I wouldn't agree with you on like the scripting of it. I think it's like I don't think it's as I don't know. I I wish it had been more detailed, but like as bloated and messy and like narratively starving. <laughs> That's not true. It's not starving for a narrative. It's just the narrative's there. It's just garbage. Uh, not garbage, but it's not very good. Um, I think it all ends up paying off just because of sheer spectacle and action. And I mean, the last like 30 minutes of one final sequence is so magnificent. And I, I mean, I can't consciously give anything that John Woo makes a, a rotten, or at least that I've seen. Uh, a rotten, and I, I don't know. So yeah, no, definitely fresh for All me. Right. Hooray, agreeing. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's recommendation time. Yeah, it is. We recommend a movie that uh, is related to the film that we covered, either a uh, by sharing a crew member, a genre, or a year of release. Mm-hmm. So, so what do you have for us, Juan? Well, my recommendation is a movie I've already like overpraised throughout this entire podcast and it's obviously face off i think face off is a brilliant brilliant work of art uh i could watch it on repeat for the rest of my life i hate people who are like oh my god nick cage is so bad he's good and this movie is bad he's good because like no you're a fucking idiot if you think that um like this movie is <laughs> it's so brilliant uh, please please try to explain the plot of face off please um an fbi agent 
goes under like a face transplant surgery and assumes I'm just going to read it off IMDb at this. Okay. In order to foil an extortion plot, an FBI agent undergoes a face transplant surgery and assumes the identity and physical appearance of a ruthless terrorist. But the plan turns from bad to worse when the same criminal impersonates the cop. So literally like John Travolta and Nicolas Cage switch faces and the film becomes this like, amazing game of like one-upsmanship between both of them and like Castor Troy is like the bad guy uh John Archer is the good guy John Travolta That's John Travolta and <laughs> it's just such it's such a fucking ride and there's a lot and of it's... other like great people in it like um I mean like Joan Allen, Gina Gershon, John Carroll Lynch, like Margaret Cho's in it as well uh no, it's such a it's it's such a riveting movie and the action sequences are magnificent and it's it's great. I love that movie so much. Yeah, it's not just the one actor playing as the other, it's one actor playing as the other as playing as the other. Yes, and it's so there's so many layers to it and both of them are just such good performers when they're given the right roles and I don't think either one of them gets as much credit as they deserve. Which is very frustrating, but whatever. We can talk about that entirely a different day. So what is your recommendation, Derek? I'm going to go with the movie because uh, uh, Hard Target was John Woo's first American movie. So I'm going to go with the one he did right before that one. And that movie is called Hard Boiled. It mm-hmm. was released in 1992 and it stars Chow Yun-Fat and Tony Leung. Two really good actors. That's, I mean, I, I, everyone keeps telling me I should watch it, and I will eventually. Yeah, let me see this. Um, the film features uh, Chayun Fat, a cop whose partner is killed in a tea house gunfight with a small army of gangsters. One of the mob's high-ranking assassins is an undercover cop, played by Tony Leung, who must team up with Chayun Fat for the common pursuit of taking down a crime syndicate. And the film leads up, to, uh, the film climaxes in a hospital which is just a bonkers action sequence. Very nice. Yes. So what did we say we were going to do for the next episode? Well, I'm just going to stick with uh, my initial pick, which I may come to regret. I may come to enjoy thoroughly. Who knows? But it is going to be this little movie that I don't think a single human being uh, (laughs) outside of like, me heard of um and it is called hashtag horror by tara subkoff um it's about six pre-adolescent girls who face a night of terror when the compulsive addiction in an online social media game turns a moment of cyberbullying into a night of insanity are we sure this isn't like unfriended or nerve listen if it's like unfriended i'm gonna throw a shit fit because everyone loved that movie and i hated it and i'm like i forever i don't know i'm like never gonna get over that movie ever again uh and then people are like starting to like reassess it even more positively and i'm like oh stop forever but it actually has like three actresses i love in it I, i'm assuming they're minor roles but who knows which are uh taryn manning natasha leone and um and chloe Sevigny. so you know like i like i will literally watch anything for chloe uh, <laughs> uh speaking speaking of chloe Sevigny, i just watched uh, love and friendship which is magnificent I mean, I thought it was fine. Ugh. Um, Ugh. <laughs> You're not as keyed into fucking Whit Stillman as I am, though, in fairness. I don't think it's so much, because this is the first Whit, uh, Whit Stillman film I have seen. 
<laughs> oh my god, I hate you so much. I think I think I'm just not as keyed into like mid tier Jane Austen. Why are we friends, honestly? <laughs> I mean, don't worry, the Whitstil- the other Whitstil- Stillman films are, are in my queue somewhere. I mean, I hope you watch them soon, but fine, whatever. I'll get to them eventually. Uh, so yeah, I guess next time we're doing uh, hashtag horror. When was this released? Uh, 2015. Released in 2015, directed by Taras Subkoff. Yeah. So this episode of the podcast is uh, actually the not only the first episode of season two, but our first episode under the banner of the as yet unnamed podcast network that uh, our good friend Matt Ribeiro runs. He's great. <laughs> uh, nominally, I do a podcast with him called uh, The Field Guide to Canadiana. We've got two episodes out, and God willing, we'll have a third out soon. Uh, but most importantly, Juan and I run a website called Dim the House Lights. You can visit us at dimthehouselights.com. There you can find all manner of good shit pertaining to film criticism, uh, reviews, essays, etc. And not just by us, but also by our uh, our friends who are also writers, Michelle, our Chris Mello, and Ross Burks. Uh, incidentally, I'm going to take this second or take an opportunity right now to uh, plug Michelle and Ross's podcast, Reloading the Canon. It's also great. <laughs> you fucker. <laughs> you piece of shit. <laughs> it's it's a really good pod. Uh, basically, what they do is they, they, they watch movies and... Uh, like uh, they they mine for unsung classics to add to this newfangled canon of theirs, and it's uh, it's pretty good. It's very good. It's awesome. <laughs> yep. Uh, you can find uh, Juan and I on Twitter and Letterbox. I'm at both places at Derek underscore G. Juan is at both places at Whoa It's Juanito. That's W O A H It's Juanito altogether. And um, have a fabulous night. Yeah, I don't think there's anything else to add. See you in two weeks. Bye.